name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But as we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, forgives our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Let us then confess our sins unto God, our Father. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unbelieving. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done, and by what we have not done. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors or ourselves. We justly deserve your presence and eternal punishment. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Almighty God, in his mercy, has given his only Son to die for you and for his sake, forgives you all of your sins. As a called and ordained servant of the word, I therefore forgive you all of your sin in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. O Lord, have mercy. Help, save, comfort, and defend us, gracious Lord.
Be gracious to all who have gone astray from your ways, and bring them again with penitent hearts and steadfast faith to embrace and hold fast the unchangeable truth of your word. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The reading of Holy Scriptures for the third Sunday in Lent, the Old Testament reading appointed for this day from Ezekiel, the 33rd chapter. So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, That wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. And you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, thus have you said, Surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we rot away because of them. How then can we live? Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back. Turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? And you, son of man, say to your people, The righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him when he transgresses. And as for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall by it when he turns from his wickedness. And the righteous shall not be able to live by his righteousness when he sins. Though I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, yet if he trusts in his righteousness and does injustice, none of his righteous deeds shall be remembered. But in his injustice that he has done, he shall die. Again, though I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, yet if he turns from his sin and does what is just and right, if the wicked restores the pledge, gives back what he has taken by robbery, and walks in the statutes of life, not doing injustice, he shall surely live. He shall not die. None of the sins that he has committed shall be remembered against him. He has done what is just and right. He shall surely live. And yet your people say, the way of the Lord is not just, when it is their own way that is not just. When the righteous turns from his righteousness and does injustice, he shall die for it. And when the wicked turns from his wickedness and does what is just and right, he shall live by them. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not just. O house of Israel, I will judge each of you according to his ways. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. reading from 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter. 
I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality, as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed, lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
stand in respect of Christ, of whom the Holy Gospel is read. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 13th chapter. There were some present at that very time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than, than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And then he told them this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put manure on it. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. This is the gospel of our Lord. Together we confess our Christian faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, by light of light, very God of very God, begotten not being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and in the third day he rose again according to the Scriptures and descended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church, I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead, and the life of the world to come. Amen.
grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Our text for today from the Gospel, the 13th chapter of St. Luke, these words. There were some present at that time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. This is our text, dear friends in Christ. On the 10th of February, the Haitian government confirmed that the death toll of the recent 7.0 earthquake that devastated that island nation now stands at 230,000 people. 300,000 more of them injured, many maimed for life, many very severely. Three million people in this little island nation, now homeless. You've seen the destruction on television. A greater quake measuring 8.8 strikes near Santiago, Chile. Only a week ago, over a thousand dead, two million homeless. How do you respond to such tragedy? How do you explain tragedy like that? Well, the people in our text for today had answers for tragedies like these. The people in our text for today, at least many of them, attributed tragedy suffered to specific sins that had been committed. That's what the Pharisees taught them. People who suffer these particular tragedies must have committed specific sins. That's what they were taught. And that's why in today's text, they recall a tragic event which had just taken place in Jerusalem, just as fresh in their minds as Port-au-Prince is to us, or Santiago, Chile, and their devastation. And so also this event that they now bring to mind and bring to Jesus' attention is something that had recently been suffered. The particular case that they're pointing to appears to have been a heated political event, a demonstration that was held near the Jerusalem temple, where apparently the people there had crossed the line that Pontius Pilate had given. In gathering together, they had very likely been hearing rousing speeches with overtones of Jewish nationalism, past glories, former days of independence from the Romans, self-rule. And they started to speak out against Rome and its agents. And Pontius Pilate, of course, from a distance with an eye on these things, Paranoid as he was about the Jews, knowing what the season of Passover would bring in terms of passion and driving for independence and such things, determines to quickly put down any and all opposition, any rebellion. And so as troops enter into the temple area, thus desecrating the holy ground of God, slaughtering those Galilean zealots on the very altars upon which they had been offering their sacrifices to God. And that's what our text is talking about, this tragic event. What do you say to that, Jesus, they're saying? What do you say to that, the Jews ask him? Were the Galileans simply victims of Rome's cruel oppression, or had they committed specific sins which were now being punished by these acts of violence, which 
if not God-ordained and God-endorsed, were at least God-allowed atrocities. What do you say to these things, Jesus? How easy it is to get so caught up in the political and the philosophical discussions and debate about such things as this, about life's tragedies, isn't it? Isn't that what we're all inclined to do when tragedies happen, to get involved in the political or the philosophical explanations to these things? Just as they did in our text for today, so charged up about these things that they missed the whole point of it all. There's an 800-pound gorilla in the room, and they don't even see him. And so Jesus says, here he is. Here's that gorilla, and he answers them by asking them a question. You'll see what I mean in just a minute. Jesus says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all of the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? And then he answers, no. No, they weren't. And I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Perish is a potent word. And it's usage coming from the, the Greek word, it has a finality to it. A finality that's very discomforting, sort of an end time word. It's one of those irreversible sort of conditions to perish. Irreversible destruction. Destruction with eternal implications. Perish. Serious stuff. You see what Jesus does? They want to talk politics and he won't talk politics. They want to talk philosophy and he won't talk philosophy. They want to blame it on the Romans or if it wasn't the Romans behind this atrocity then it must be the sins of these particular Galileans. After all, who else is there to blame? How else can this be explained? Surely you're not going to, to blame it on God. Amen. And they're right about that. God is not the author of any kind of wickedness or evil. But they were wrong about the notion that there were only three to blame, either the Romans or the Galileans or God. Conveniently, they had forgotten another explanation. They conveniently ignored the gorilla in the room and they conveniently forgot that they were part of this equation as well. And he answered them and said, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, he says, and I tell you, but unless you <coughs> repent, you will all likewise perish. You see, they were all perishable people. So don't go attributing the tragedies that befell the Galileans to any specific sin they committed. That's to try to get off the hook. Sin is sin. None of it more damning, none of it more deserving of God's wrath than any other. It all is deserving of God's wrath. Sin is sin. That's why Jesus goes on to cite then another similar situation as evidence that his argument indeed is correct. And he says, or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell upon them. Do you think they were greater debtors that's the Greek word, culprits actually. Do you think they were greater culprits or debtors than all of the other people living in Jerusalem? See what Jesus does? He suddenly brings it all very close to home to them, to Jerusalem. I tell you no, but unless you repent, he says, you likewise shall perish. 
And note well in neither the Galilean incident or in the Jerusalem Siloam incident that he mentions does Jesus make any connection between a specific sin committed and the tragedy that befell them. Not to say that there aren't connections at times between sins committed and tragedies that befall us. There are. But that's not always the explanation for tragedies that occur. In neither incident that Jesus mentions does he even suggest indeed that the Galileans aren't sinners or that those construction workers who were building that tower of Siloam which was used to hold an aqueduct that was being that was going through the Jerusalem area that they weren't sinners that they weren't debtors they were they were sinners they were debtors indeed Jesus doesn't deny that they were all sinners and they all because of their sins were debtors as well and guess what Jesus adds with a punch that must have stunned everyone listening to him that day. And unless you repent, you will likewise perish. We're all part of that divine equation. We're all part of that disaster equation. Not just the Romans, not just the Galileans, not just the 18 Siloam Tower Jews or all of those to whom Jesus was speaking 2,000 years ago. But his word transcends from one generation from the next, over the centuries, even millennia, and it hits us squarely too. We all are part of the equation. You, me, the Galileans, the Romans, the Jews, all, all of us. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All sinners, all equally debtors, all perishable people, as Luther would say, beggars all. There's but one. And there's only one who on his own merit stands outside of that circle of sin which encompasses all of us. Only one. In the whole history of mankind, only one. And that's the one of whom the author of Hebrews writes. The one, he says, who was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sinning. The one, St. Peter says, who committed no sin, and in whose mouth there was no guile. The one, St. John says, in whom there is no sin. The one, St. Paul says, who had no sin but became sin for us. Jesus, sinless Jesus, attested to by apostolic scripture, the one and the only one whose sinlessness exempts him from the destruction of first century sinners like the Galileans or the Jews or 21st century sinners like you and me. The only one. And even though he was the only one, and this is such an amazing grace, so that you and I, along with those Galileans and Jews of centuries ago, would not eternally perish, the sinless one becomes our sin for us. As our creed says, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, and he wasn't the first Galilean to suffer under Pontius Pilate, as we've heard from our text for today. 
And he was crucified, died, and was buried. And as we know from the first century historians, Josephus and Tacitus, there were many others who were crucified, thousands who were crucified even before our Lord. He wasn't the first Galilean to be crucified by Pontius Pilate indeed, but he was the first. And he was the only Galilean who was sinless. And the only Galilean, indeed the only one born of woman who can claim to be the divinely begotten of God the Father from all of eternity. As we confessed in the creed this morning, he's God of God. He's light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. Isn't that indeed the Christian faith that we confess with the creed of Nicaea of so long ago? And that's why no other Galilean was the Son of God. No other Galilean bore the sin of the world in his soul upon the cross. No other Galilean died the death that our sins deserve so that we would never have to die it. And you can be sure of this. The death of no other Galilean ever did to death itself what the death of this Galilean did. The death of this Galilean, Jesus of Nazareth and Galilee, destroyed death forever. His death on the cross was, was a, a death-destroying death because the life that was in him was stronger than our death that was upon him and our sin that he bore for us. His life was stronger than all of that, a sin-forgiving and a death-defying life which he not only gave up on the cross for us, so long ago, but even gives to us right now. As he comes to us in his word and his sacrament, through baptism into his death, what does he give us? Newness of life, scripture says. And right here, as we hear his word, that word to which he attaches his life when he says, he who hears my word has eternal life. Right here, as we receive his very body and his blood, the life-giving fruit of the tree of the cross, of which he spoke when he said, He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Life for our death. Life given to us even now through word and sacraments. Life that will even raise us up on the last day, he says. You see, his life is working still to overcome our death, even now, it's happened already with our souls, and in due time, it will happen also with our bodies. Death, the last enemy, being overcome by life, the life of the Galilean, the life of Jesus Christ. And so, dear friends, you can count on it. Count on it with everything that is in you. As in days of old, towers around us will tumble from time to time. Some will be brought down by violent acts of terrorism. Others shaken off their foundations by earthquakes and tsunamis. Yet others just falling, as did the Tower of Siloam, by other forces in this fallen world that ultimately pulls everything down except Christ's holy people. And as in the days of old, Pontius Pilate's of this world will always secure their positions of power even if necessary, by desecrating God's temples. Because when it comes to power, 
The profane ultimately has little regard for that which is holy, even for Christ's holy people. As in the days of old, tremors throughout the financial markets of a land will shake the foundations of wealth and wear it away for all who have laid up their treasures on earth rather than in heaven, as have Christ's holy people. And as in the days of old, youth gives way to age, strength becomes weakness, health becomes sickness, worldly gain ultimately becomes earthly loss, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain, Scripture says, that we shall take nothing out of it. Naked we came into this world, naked we shall leave it, unless, unless we are baptismally clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ and are therefore Christ's holy people. You see, it all comes down to this. No one but Christ can make the perishable imperishable. No one. And that, my friends, is why we all so desperately need to be Christ's holy people. And that's why others around us so desperately need to be Christ's holy people too, because we all would perish without him. Decades ago, the great Christian apologist C.S. Lewis put it so simply, so profoundly. He said, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilization, these are mortal, that is, they're going to come to an end. Their life, therefore, compared to ours, is like the life of a gnat. But think on this, he said, it is immortals with whom we joke, immortals with whom we work, immortals that we marry, and it is immortal souls that we snub, and immortal souls that we exploit, immortal souls for whom awaits eternal horrors or everlasting splendors. How blessed we are to be Christ's holy people. Confess him to other immortals that they might forever be his holy people too. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Receive our thanks for the faith we've been granted and by your might uphold us in it through every trial and temptation and unto life imperishable. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Continue to supply your beloved church watchmen who faithfully will cry out to your people with the full counsel of your word, preaching repentance from all of our sin that all might regularly turn from wrong ways and assuring your people that because of the passion and death of Jesus Christ, all who believe in him and are baptized into his name shall surely live. Lord, in your mercy. Christ Jesus, who was tempted in every way that we are yet without sin, and who is utterly faithful in your care for us, we pray that you would defend each of us in every time of temptation. Help us to recall that there is no temptation come upon us that is not common to others, that you will not permit us to be tempted beyond our God-given ability to endure, and that you will always provide a way out, that in each we can be assured that we will be enabled to endure as long as temptations persist. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord God, who crafted the cosmos and ordered chaos, we ask that you would teach us in every time of tragedy to cling to you, ever repenting of our sin, and knowing that you work all things together for our good, even when it's not ours clearly to see. For you so have promised. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. prayer. Lord of the nations, enable our leaders ever to govern in humility and honesty and justice. To this end, bless those in our executive and legislative and judicial branches of government, that laws might be made in accord with your will for the good of the people, and may the citizens of our land respect all authority you've established. Lord, in your mercy. Lord of our life, who has by your tender visitation to us and your blood shed for us, forged life imperishable out of that which is perishable. Bless those who feel daily and acutely the effects of our perishable nature. Bless especially Joe Avran, hospitalized yesterday, Bless also Sonia Heidemann and Hugh Ryan, among others, recovering from hospitalizations. Bless those chronically infirmed or those who are close to death. Make them and us all mindful of your resurrection promises for those who depart in the faith. To this end, bless also the family of Sister in Christ, Tilly Lewis, who continues to grieve her death. Lord, in your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for extending your healing touch through medicines and medical personnel or procedure to those who enjoy healing, including Ellie Heinz, grateful for a successful medical procedure performed this last week. Lord, in your mercy. 
Led and guided by you, Lord God, we follow our fathers in the faith. For we too have been led through the sea of baptism. And with them we eat of the same spiritual food and drink of that same spiritual drink, Christ Jesus. Feed us on your word and enrich us as often as we receive in faith Christ's own body and blood in the sacrament of his supper. That strengthened by it, we might not turn aside, but be delivered through the wilderness of this world and into heaven's promised land. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord God, hear our prayers, deliver and preserve us. For to you alone be all glory with the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Lord be with you. salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you holy lord almighty father everlasting god through jesus christ our lord who overcame the assaults of the devil and gave his life as a ransom for many that with cleansed hearts we might be prepared joyfully to celebrate the paschal feast in sincerity and truth therefore with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven we laud and magnify your glorious name evermore praising you and saying, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord, God of heart and mind, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in Blessed are you, Lord of heaven and earth, for you have had mercy on those whom you created and sent your only begotten Son into our flesh to bear our sin and be our Savior. With repentant joy we receive the salvation accomplished for us by the all-availing sacrifice of his body and his blood on the cross. Gathered in the name and the remembrance of Jesus, we beg you, O Lord, to forgive, renew, and strengthen us with your word and spirit. Grant us faithfully to eat his body and drink his blood, as he bids us do in his own testament. Gather us together, we pray, from the ends of the earth to celebrate with all the faithful the marriage feast of the Lamb in his kingdom, which has no end. Graciously receive our prayers, deliver and preserve us. To you alone, O Father, be all glory, honor, and worship with the Son and the Holy Spirit. One God, now and forever. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power 
and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always.
O God, the Father, the fountain and source of all goodness, who in loving kindness sent your only begotten Son into the flesh, we thank you that for his sake you, you have given us pardon and peace in this sacrament. And we ask you not to forsake your children, but always to rule our hearts and minds by your Holy Spirit, that we may be enabled constantly to serve you through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Receive now the benediction of our Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen.